Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a lecture from Dr. Nicholas Exonas, entitled Enigmatic Signifiers Waiting for Translation, an Over-Inclusive Metapsychology of Gender and Sexualities by Jean Laplanche. First given at a conference for psychoanalysis and sexualities in Buenos Aires in October 2018. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash V-A-N-E-S-S-A two three C-A-R-L. Your support is greatly appreciated. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Oh, thank you very much. Um, well, the title of my presentation, which is slightly shorter but announces the program, is Enigmatic Signifiers Waiting for Translation in over-inclusive metapsychology of sexualities and gender by Jean Laplanche. It is uh, particularly special for me to speak about the theories of this French analyst. Apart from being one of Europe's most rigorous and innovative psychoanalytic thinkers, Professor Laplanche had the merit of introducing psychoanalysis into university in 1970 a.k.a. Paris Diderot University, where I was trained as a clinical psychologist and currently work as a researcher. I will mention very briefly some essential biographical elements of Laplanche. This philosophically-oriented thinker used to be Lacan's analysant and acolyte before officially breaking away from him to found the Psychoanalytic Association of France with the official imprimatur of the International Psychoanalytic Association. From 1984 until his death in um, 2012, Laplanche was the scientific director of a French translation team working on the complete works of Sigmund Freud. Even though French audiences have long known his groundbreaking contributions to analytic theory, the English-speaking world only recently became acquainted with them through Jonathan House's publishing house, The Unconscious in Translation. Laplanche's methodology is perhaps best epitomized by the title of his seminal text, Interpreting with Freud. The word with is placed between brackets. The bracketing suggests reading Freud with Freud and foreshadows Laplanche's original transposition of the Freudian method from an analysis of the individual and his desire to the exigencies of a body of thought, 
or to what on the discursive level is most closely related to this desire. This approach is based on the conviction that Freud's work, considered in its entirety in diachrony, is shaped by its very object, the unconscious and its logic, and as such, its richness lies as much in, in its contradictions and lacunae as in what it explicitly states. As part of this presentation, I propose to read Laplanche in the same way he proceeds with the Freudian corpus. I will therefore endeavor to analyze his thinking with regard to the core concept of translation in a holistic, macrostructural, and associative perspective. In other words, I will translate Laplanche with Laplanche. A centrifugal movement underlies Laplanche's entire scientific production. Whether he translates Freud into French by adopting a source-oriented method, or imports into metapsychology extrinsic conceptual structures, such as philosophy, anthropology, linguistics, and gender studies, Laplanche's approach suggests a move towards the other and surreptitiously espouses the decentered alterity of the unconscious. The title of his collection of essays, The Unfinished Copernican Revolution, explicitly places dissentering in the heart of his theories. As we know, Copernicus broke from the Ptolemaic model of a geocentric universe, centered around humans, and dealt a cosmological blow by arguing that the Earth was no longer the center of the universe. In the same vein, Freud caused a psychological vexation by postulating that the ego was no longer master in its own house. Notwithstanding, the latter failed to fully integrate otherness into his concepts, according to Laplanche, thus paradoxically trapping psychoanalysis in an ipsocentric and solipsistic loop. From this perspective, Laplanche pleads in favor of a displacement of the center and stresses the primacy of the other with the obvious aim to complete the Copernican revolution. Let me quote here his famous aphorism, where there has been the id, there will always and forever be the other. So now I'm going to develop what I call the, the theory of generalized translation. Actually, uh, the official name of the theory of Laplanche is generalized seduction. And I divided my presentation to, uh, into two chapters, two parts. The first one is entitled The Emergence of Drives, and the second one, The Emergence of Gender and the Sexual. It is perhaps not surprising that someone who devoted himself to the translation of Freud's complete work viewed clinical practice and thus the genesis of sexual drives in light of the notion of translation. This coincidence would appear to be supported by the German language as the noun Übertragung refers to both translation and transference. Applying the psychoanalytic rule of evenly suspended attention to the Freudian corpus, 
that is the equal treatment of all utterances, Laplanche picked out a precious reference located at the margins of Freud's oeuvre. Um, in a letter to Fleece, Freud compared the evolution of the psychic apparatus to a series of successive inscriptions, each of which translated the preceding one into a different idiom. And in this manner, he likened the process of repression to a refusal of translation. Laplanche's interactions, uh, interaction with other disciplines, uh, which recalls his desire to free psychoanalysis from ipsocentrism, would enable him to refine the connections between language, communication, and translation. Drawing inspiration from the linguist Ferdinand de Saussure and Roman Jacobson, he proposes extending the language model to other communication systems. Hence, the idea of a semiotic system broader than the linguistic one. Hungarian analyst Sandor Ferenczi is systematically summoned by Laplanche as a witness and precursor of the Copernican Revolution due to the emphasis that he placed on seduction associated with an external aggressor rather than an internal fantasized assailant. His famous text, Confusion of Language Between Adults and the Child, along with Margaret Mead's anthropologically-based criticism of universal edipalization, encouraged Laplanche to move away from the familiarism of classical psychoanalysis. He thus conceived an asymmetrical system of communication between adults and the infants, which derives from the latter's primary helplessness and absolute dependence on the former. This fundamental anthropological situation crosses all cultures, family or quasi-family constellations, in which the ethical solution might exist among other variants. While Ferenczi evokes a rather vague confusion between the child's language of progenital eroticism and the adult's language of genital sexuality in the specific cases of aggression against minors, Laplanche proposes a double expansion of this inadequacy of tongues. First, he stresses that the communication gap in all adults and children stems from the fact that the adult is endowed with, um, with an unconscious, pregnant with sexual significations. What is, at stake, what is at stake here is not a regional seduction limited to pathological cases, but rather a generalized seduction. <clears throat> Second, the inadequacy of communication should not be limited to the linguistic level, but should rather be extended to the semiotic level, namely pre-verbal and infraverbal messages such as gaze, smile, touch, and gestures. According to Laplanche's translation model, there is a common semiotic system known as the communication of attachments, in which the child lean balance into the message itself. 
borrowing the vocabulary of German poet and philosopher and novelist, Laplanche speaks of a drive to translate, induced by this too muchness inherent to enigmatic signifiers. In his text, Temporality and Translation, Laplanche provides an important clarification. Seduction should be defined as a passive-active relationship, which is taken in the Cartesian sense. The active contains more knowledge, more experience. In this asymmetry, psychoanalysis introduces the essential complements, that is, this plus of an exceeding unconscious knowingness, more in the seducer than the seduced. Accordingly, in the fundamental anthropological situation of the infant's primary helplessness, the intervention of the other necessarily involves breaking and entering because of an exceeding representation or exceeding signification that is implanted in the bodily ego of the infants, like a splinter under the skin. As a passive and unknowing agent, the child will necessarily fail to fully decipher these overknowing messages. The elements to be excluded from the translation will thus succumb under the bar of oppression. These untranslated remainders will form the unconscious and be transformed into object sources of the drive. Laplanche situates this process in the context of the Freudian notion of deferred action, but for which Laplanche proposes an English neologism afterwardness. He writes, the translation of the enigmatic adult message is not a one-off process, but it's a two-step process. This two-step pattern is the same as with trauma. At first, the message is simply inscribed or implanted without being understood, as if it were held under a thin layer of consciousness or under the skin. In a second step, the message is revived. It is then an internal body that must be integrated and controlled at all costs. End of the quotation. It is important to keep in mind that throughout life, the human subject will not stop detranslating and retranslating the primary signifiers according to several body codes or languages, oral, anal, urethral, and genital eroticism. For Laplanche, this continual process accompanies a complex temporality that alternates progressive and retrogressive movements, totally disconnected from a normative succession of stages, or an entire sexuality infused by gender desires is reactivated in the presence of the child. Laplanche borrows Stoller's notion of assignment only to place it under the auspices of seduction in a way that the semiotic code of bodily care is confounded with the social codes. What he calls the intimate socius is in fact a constellation of gender and therefore socially bound adults 
invested caregivers and seducers who assign masculine and feminine representations to the child in a given cultural context. Gender identity is thus the outcome of what Laplanche calls the primitive identification by the socials of personal prehistory. Laplanche suggests replacing the classic formula of identification to the other with identification by the other, clearly stressing the exogenous violence of gender allocation. Additionally, he introduces the key concept of mythosymbolic. Confronted with the enigma of the adult's messages, the child cannot be content with the sole attachment code at his disposal, that is the semiotic code of primary caretaking, but also uses preformed narrative schemas proposed by the surrounding culture. These are historically and socially contingent codes, myths, tales, proverbs, that help the child to translate the overwhelming sexual signifiers and gender assignments. From this perspective of the complex interaction between sexual messages, gender prescriptions, self-preserving attachment codes, and mythosymbolic neocodes, I defend, along with Laplanche, the existence of gender diversity as corroborated by the histories of language. This potential plurality of genders should be retranslated by the visual perception of anatomical sexual difference structured by the presence or absence of the male genital organ and thus by the rigid law of the excluded third party. Consequently, Laplanche's neological creation of the sexual and its placement alongside gender and sex would, would correspond to a triangulation aimed at moderating this rigid code, aka the binary law of frustration. Let us not forget that, according to Laplanche, the infamous castration, like the Oedipus complex, the murder of the father of the primitive horde, and other psychoanalytic paradigms, forms part of the mythosymbolic. In fact, all these pre-established hermeneutic tools would constitute modern cultural codes, meta-narratives, that serve to provide a meaningful framework to bodily and psychic realities. As a result, Laplanche criticizes canonical psychoanalysis for placing these narrative structures on the side of the repressed instead of the repressing, on the side of the primary drives instead of what comes secondarily to give order to the exuberant anarchy of the sexual, through the laws of union and procreation. We can now understand that the neologism sexual aims to reconnect with the original discovery of the polymorphic propensity of infantile sexuality that is quintessentially described in Freud's first edition on sexual theory, dated 1905. 
This teasing finding was subsequently sacrificed or repressed by Freud as well as his disciples in the name of a universalist conception of the Oedipus complex and a normative stageism oriented toward genital accomplishments. I maintain that the creation of the sexual is underpinned by Laplanche's desire to provide a more inclusive and less repressive translation of the psychoanalytic master signifier of sexual difference. Before closing, I will compare Laplanche's metapsychological model with gender theory. One can readily recognize the bo that both systems are decentering since they conceive the gender I as a response to what comes from the other. They also share the view of an alienating violence consubstantial to gender assignments. The Laplanchian terms of implantation and intromission eloquently underscore the traumatic dimension of this exogenous intrusion, which recalls the violent bodily inscription of norms argued by Judith Butler. Teresa de Loretis also reminds us that, reminds us that Foucault, who inspired gender studies so consequentially, analyzed the purpose implantation of sexuality in the context of biopower, implicitly drawing the contours of a non-Cartesian subject inhabited by the foreign presence of the other. Despite these affinities, Laplanche's model differs significantly from gender theory, which conceives gender as a discursive formation and social constraint passively recorded by a subject. In addition, it invariably portrays an adult subjugated by impersonal agents or devices like those named ideological state apparatuses by Althusser. The most appropriate psychoanalytic notion to describe these postulates would be incorporation. This refers to a process in which the subject magically incorporates an object, in our case, gender assignments, without metabolizing this ingestion. Laplanche instead conceives gender as a psychic category that does not result from a power relation between society and the individual, but from the mental work carried out by the child who actively translates a series of enigmatic signifiers issued by adults and jumbled by their sexual. For Laplanche, it is not society as a whole that assigns gender, but the intimate socials of the child. In other words, sociocultural gender prescriptions, or what I call mytho-symbolic narratives, are not incorporated by the subjects, but rather interjected and thus assimilated through the mediation of primary caretakers. Consequently, between gender assignment and gender acquisition, between identification by the other and identity, intercedes the psychic work of the subjects 
and an irreducibly singular elaboration. However, Laplanche overlooks an essential point highlighted by gender studies. The social paradigm of male domination, women's subordination, and sexual minority suppression. In my view, intergenerationally transmitted gender power relations, as well as forms of hierarchy founded on identity categories, such as skin color, ethnicity, class, religion, etc., may be understood as enigmatic signifiers implanted in the child by adult caregivers and likely to form a normative unconscious. I also argue that these mythosymbolic structures of power and control are at the origin of a predominantly heterocentric, cisgendered, white and bourgeois-oriented psychoanalytic corpus. I thus conceive the theory of passive and castrated femininity as an ideological and defensive retranslation of the infant's original passivity. From the same perspective, the ideal of phallic masculinity would represent a compensating mechanism of primitive vulnerability. Gorengant and Burkhalter both argue that the more defenseless the child is when exposed to the fundamental anthropological situation, the more likely he or she will tend to cling radically to the phallic norm. Overall, the message to be translated marks Laplanche's most original contribution, a third element in the anthropological dyad adult-infants, and a transversal bridge between the other-centered and adult-centric perspective of gender theory on the one hand, and the tribe-oriented, ipsocentric and child-centric psychoanalytic vision on the other. Let us also recall the triptych, gender, sex, sexual. In this sense, can we not consider Laplanche to be a non-binary thinker for excellence? By way of conclusion, I would like to highlight that Laplanche's translation model is not only a brilliant theoretical construction, but also a precious clinical operator. The analytic setting is a revival of the fundamental anthropological asymmetry of adult infants. This is what Laplanche maintains by emphasizing the creativity of the analyst's enigmatic dimension and internal otherness in contrast to the traditional neutrality animated by a two-person solipsism. Additionally, he clearly positions the analyst as a seducer and transference as a form of seduction provoked by the latter. Here, Laplanche translates the view of Lacanian-oriented Pierre Aulanier in terms of the offer preceding the demand, whether in analysis or in the mother-child relation. Since the analytic situation is a reissue of the primary seduction, it would aim to undo through the Regritian-Progritian movements of transference, 
the symptomatic translations of the past and elicit new messages able to bear a more complete, more inclusive and less repressive translation. If the analyst remains open to his or her unconscious activity and thus suspends his or her knowingness, he or she should trigger a hyper-singular process of detranslation, retranslation in each treatment, which would be the least compatible with the pre-understandings of mythosymbolic psychoanalytic paradigms. For Laplanche, analysis is equivalent to anti-hermeneutics. In this respect, he criticizes the over-interpretative um, Kleinian technique, an intromissive stimulation of the analysis through prematurely prescribed meanings. He also challenges Lacan's idea that the end of analysis would involve assuming one's own castration. According to Laplanche, remaining absolutely Freudian implies suspending any purposive idea and thus never subjugating the analytic treatment to pre-established combination. Thank you. As he upholds, the bracketing of the adaptational end and the refusal to subject the analytic process to any kind of predefined aim make reference to the etymological meaning of the term analysis, that is, decomposition. This creative return to early Freudian insights undermines all normativity and defines a pioneering method open to the infinite diversity of sexual and gender subjectivities. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk by Dr. Nicholas Evzonas. For more, please visit our website, renderingunconscious.org, or my website, drvanessasinclair.net. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry, available from Trapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode
they all cruise out loud. Suddenly the cruise makes a home call, ready to bless both him and exorcise Satan from a sensually trembling body, unsure of just who is the devil after all. Father Flanagan will undoubtedly provide those answers, although everyone already suspects the devil is the launch of a book is like the launch of a rocket, destined for progress the outer and inner space of others. There is much magic up ahead in amplified butterfly effects and oral spells. We are obsessed. Thank you. 